Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, where we talk about games that we've been gaming and TV and movies that we've been watching. Uh, I'm Aaron. I'm James. And today we are talking about Super Mario Sunshine. Yes, we are. Indeed. Um, Why don't we jump right into it? Let's talk a little bit about where this game comes from. This game comes from a little-known company called Nintendo. Um, It was released in August 2002, uh, notably six years after Super Mario 64, the previous Mario effort by them, uh, mainstream Mario effort, and notably first 3D Mario platformer. Yeah, and it was for the Nintendo GameCube. We should say that. We should, and while we have. Uh, And it has recently seen a re-release in uh, Super Mario All-Stars 3D for the Nintendo Switch, which is the version we both played most recently. However, we have both played the Nintendo GameCube version. However, I think uh, it's safe to say that your experience of the GameCube version is extensive. much more comprehensive than mine. Very extensive. I have a big history with it. Um, so this game was directed primarily by Kenta Usui and Yoshiaki Koizumi, who uh, Koizumi uh, was notably the assistant director on Super Mario 64 and then later went on to direct games like Super Mario Galaxy, DK Jungle Beat, and end up per- ended up producing every other Mario 3D platformer game that has since come out. Um, in terms of production, the Super Mario Sunshine was produced by the one and only Shigeru Miyamoto. Yeah, he's got his fingers in pretty much every pie Nintendo decides to bake in one way or another. Yes. I would say that it, it's, it's what's interesting to me about his role as a producer. I mean, it makes sense because he's the, the godfather of Mario, but I just find it interesting that he was a director on Super Mario 64 and in an interview with him said he didn't really give a reason, but he wanted to transition to a production role. And I can't help but wonder that it's due to a a lot of stress during the development process. Um, I think he thought his role was better served as a producer. And, you know, I would imagine that being a director on a game as ambitious as for my sunshine would be not easy. No. And an interview I read with him uh, around the same time, he mentioned that, uh, he was 50 at the time, or he had turned 50 recently, and he was kind of evaluating his life and wondering, is this going to be my legacy, making video games? And yep. that may be why he took a step back. However, if you've invented Mario uh, and Super Mario Brothers, that's your life, buddy. That's, that's kind of it for you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't really know what kind of sunset he was planning on retiring off into, or what job transition, because uh, this is essentially, this will be his legacy no matter what. You yeah. Know, no matter what he goes on to do. So, And I think we should say right up front, and we'll obviously elaborate on this a little bit more, but I think we could both agree that this is a, it's a good game. It is a good game, definitely. Yeah. I, I used to say it was a fantastic game. I partially think that still, but... I have been very appreciative of the time I've spent going over this game again in preparation for this podcast um, because it's made me look at this in a little bit more of a critical light. Right. It's a, it's a good game with some pretty glaring flaws, uh, which we will talk about. But at the end of the day, it's a good game. There's never been a mainstream Mario game produced by Nintendo that I would ever call bad. 
Yes. Um, they may have problems, but at the end of the day, Nintendo is kind of the Disney of video games. Nothing they ever, they can make some weird stuff, but nothing they ever make is bad. There's clearly people with passion um, who know what they're doing behind this. Right. And I think before we get into the meat of the game, we should talk about a little bit of notable elements of its production. Uh, I think probably the most notable thing to me is when I see a six-year gap between any two games, major uh, entries in Nintendo's IP. Uh, Again, there were six years between Mario 64 and Super Mario Sunshine, and I think it's worth talking about what happened between that time. You know, soon after Mario 64 came out, Nintendo Power and pretty much every other news source was abuzz with gossip about, you know, when does Super Mario 64 2 come out? And I don't know if they coined that name or, I mean, it's a logical name to give, but Nintendo adopted that name essentially and started using that when they would refer to a potential sequel. Well, uh, and the, the kind of other fan name is Super Mario 128, which yes. is just 64 times two. And Mario 128 eventually manifested itself in a demo that was used to tout the GameCube's capabilities. It was no more than just a simulation of a bunch of Mario's running around and multiplying, if I recall correctly. Well, yeah, it's Mario's on kind of like this uh, tea saucer shaped uh, object. And it's them running around, 128 of them running around in kind of all directions, including on the underside of it, which is interesting because uh, for two reasons. One, this actually went on to be part of the creation of Pikmin um, because they saw that they could render so many characters at the same time. And two, uh, it has big Super Mario Galaxy vibes with being able to move freely around an object, you know, seemingly without gravity. So uh, it kind of has weird roots in these other games. It also has some interesting roots with none other than The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Uh, In an interview with the directors, and I think even with Miyamoto himself, uh, they noted that there were ideas that eventually made their way into Sunshine that were first developed in connection with Majora's Mask. I don't know what those ideas are. I would love to know, because I can't imagine Link flying around in a watery jetpack. Well, it can't be really annoying villagers, because those definitely exist in Majora's Mask. That's very true. Yeah. Um, and probably the last notable thing to say about the development is that the directors also said the game didn't even start as a Mario game, but eventually became one, which I think that when you consider this game as a whole, especially some of its more glaring flaws um, and how bold of a choice some of those, um, some of the design choices were, it makes a little bit of sense that this did not start originally as a Mario game with Mario centric ideas. Well, yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I feel like modern Nintendo games, um, I mean, not even feel, they kind of out and out say it, they kind of begin with one central conceit, whether it's a gameplay idea or it's typically a gameplay idea. Yeah. And they kind of build their games around that. And the idea for this game began with uh, a water gun, Mario having a water gun, when they eventually decided for it to be a Mario game. Uh, That was kind of their central premise. Uh, that came about because they said that the GameCube could render and create water in a way that no other system had before. And they wanted to take advantage of that, hence the tropical setting and hence Mario shooting water. So they kind of took that as the central theme and designed this entire game around it. This was, I don't know if you mentioned, uh, I mean, essentially the only 3D Mario platformer for the GameCube. So they they wanted to make it emblematic of that software and everything it could do. 
it's almost like they knew they wouldn't get around to making another one due to the, how long the development cycles appear to be on these. And I, and I must say, before we continue, I, I like games that have good looking water. I must, I really like one of the first things I noticed about playing like Twilight Princess on the game on the Wii when it came out is man, that water looks beautiful. Well, well I mean, if you think about water, especially water in uh, an outdoor space, it, it must be extremely difficult to get that right just because of all the light refracting off of it. And, right. you know, there's a shadow cast off of it. And just in terms of programming, I'm sure it must be kind of a nightmare. <clears throat> so it makes sense to me that they would be proud of their ability to render it and kind of want to, uh, you know, design this whole game around it. Right. And just to, to end that quick tangent, very notable, uh, another game that came out around the same time uh, where the developers very clearly had no interest whatsoever in how they made the water look is uh, Kingdom Hearts, which really oh. water is just, uh, you know, just a big blue mass that you go into and maybe they play like a splash noise but i'm pretty sure there's zero movement with the water at all uh well famously the water and swimming physics in kingdom hearts are uh are notable for being how good they are yeah how realistic how realistic everyone loves the swimming level the atlantica level in kingdom hearts absolutely yeah um so aaron uh how did you first experience this game uh okay so i bought a gamecube when i was a kid essentially to play Smash Brothers and uh, The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Yep. And I didn't really have any other games besides that. I would rent them occasionally, and that's what I did with this game. I must have rented it maybe two or three times. Um, I think it left a good, strong first impression. But after the first few levels uh, and the first couple shines I got, I kind of put it away and didn't rent it again. I never, I never bought it. Um, and until this most recent playthrough... Uh, in the 3D All-Stars collection, I kind of really didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So my history isn't as deep and as strong as yours. But uh, again, initially I liked it. I did put it down because it had some issues that we're going to talk about. And I think some of my opinions have changed uh, since the revisit. Mm -hmm. But I think overall, my central reasons for putting it down have kind of stayed the same. Um, and I know you have a much more extensive history with it. Oh, it's extensive and it is deep and emotional. Uh, (laughs) I first played this game, uh, I think the Christmas, the year it came out and I had been craving a Mario game. I think I mentioned, I, I followed Nintendo power religiously, just waiting for another mainstream Mario game. And there were a lot of 3d platformers, which was probably my favorite genre at the time, um, that came out. In the interim, um, you know, Banjo-Kazooie being one of them, one of my favorite games of all time, and what I would call a perfect 3D platformer. Um, but then other, you know, classics like Rayman 2, Ratchet & Clank, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Spyro, Gex, the one and only oh, Gex, God, game Gex. I'll defend to the death. Gex is due for uh, a reboot of some kind, and I'm waiting for it. Uh, really where, is. Where, where is the Gex Kickstarter? Bring me Gex. I will play Gex. I would sell one of my kidneys for Gex, for another Gex game, not for the character himself. Well, I mean, now that we're talking about it, why not? He seems charming and cool. Yeah. And I believe you had, you had pitched a while ago when we spoke a perfect idea for a Gex reboot. Uh, well, first of all, Gex, I mean, Gex is timeless, right? Because anything that deals with pop culture uh, is definitely due to age very well, yes. as, the Gex, as the Gex games have. Yeah. Uh, um, I just want to see a Gex reboot where 
the, you know, he, he, <laughs> I want to see him invade prestige television shows this time around instead okay. of movies. So I want Gex in like a Curb Your Enthusiasm style level uh, where a befuddled Larry David gets confused by the wild antics of Gex. I wouldn't mind that at all. And, and frankly, I, as long as Gex is making the same jokes that he made back in like 1998, I, I actually would prefer that. I don't want them to update the jokes. Oh, never. Um, I mean, if Bubsy can get a remake, I think Gex is certainly in line. Yeah, I would not dare compare the two because I think that Bubsy 3D looks like absolute dog shit compared to the first Gex 3D platformer. No, we just need like one big name to hop on the Gex Kickstarter and I think we would get the funding. Maybe Tommy Wiseau? Tommy, yes, Tommy Wiseau. So that, thank you for reminding me because that's my other idea. Uh, Have Gex, because he's in the world of movies, be played and acted by Tommy Wiseau. I think you couldn't go wrong with that. And for anyone listening who does not know who Tommy Wiseau is, I won't say too much about him, but he is a very eccentric, very interesting director of a very bad movie called The Room. Uh, and I highly recommend it. I know Aaron does too. Uh, we will definitely cover The Room at some point. We will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so going back to my history with the game, you know, I, I was very, very obsessed with it when it first came out. Um, I think I had just been craving another entry in the Mario 3D platforming series and it really kind of quenched my thirst at the time and I I think I loved it like right away for a while but when I went back and I started thinking about certain aspects of the game in a more critical light I I can't help but wonder whether I was just so blinded by being happy that there was a new Mario game that I overlooked certain glaring flaws at the time, and then I might have made excuses for them. I, I wouldn't put it past my, you know, um, seventh seventh grade self. I certainly would defend games that I put a lot of time into because I had nothing but time. Um, even though I was not allowed to play video games all I wanted, I was very limited on time. I guess I would really, I would, I would commit to a game and I would play the ever living shit out of it. But I, I mean, I think you're right. And I think you hit on kind of two, two ideas with that. One, in seventh grade, when you're 13, you know, you don't, you don't look at games or media in general with the same kind of critical eye you do as an adult. Yeah. When you're a kid, you know, how many games do you really get at a given time? Super Mario Sunshine may have been, you said you got it for Christmas. That may have been the only game you got for Christmas. So that's kind of it for you to play for the next, you know, three, four months. And you're going to play it because, you know, that's all there is. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is you said you were desperate for another 3D Mario game, which a lot of people were. This was not a launch title for the GameCube. Right. They, they did rush production because they wanted a Mario game on the GameCube. Luigi's Mansion was kind of the Mario-esque game that came out at launch. And that's a good game, definitely. But it's not the game that people were expecting or wanting when they got their GameCube. Pretty underwhelming, if you ask me. I, I, I don't dislike Luigi's Mansion. I just found it to be massively underwhelming. And I, I might still hold that grudge against Nintendo and the game. Yeah, which, I mean, it's unfair because it puts a lot of weight to be a launch title on a console. And I, I don't think in a perfect world they would have had Luigi, Luigi's Mansion be the launch title. I think they would have had Sunshine. Yeah. But it, it simply wasn't ready. Things I've read about the production of the game uh, are that it took them a very long time uh, to get the kind of 
like development software for the GameCube working in the way they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And there's some goofy thing, I'd have to reread it, about Mario Sunshine when they finally got it up and running. It involves like two separate systems loading things at the same time, mm-hmm. which is why there's very few load times to the game. However, it took them a long time to develop that. Once they did, they kind of got up and running and it, it wasn't a long process after that. But I think initially it was longer than they would have liked and hence why the game was not available at launch and why I think they may have rushed production. Hmm. Well, it's still a pretty good game despite rush production, I'd say. I mean, you know, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah, let's, yeah. Are we ready because, to talk about the game? Yeah, let's talk about the game because I think that rush production uh, shows up and you can kind of tell. Yeah, Absolutely. So the plot of this game is Mario is on vacation. Uh, he's on vacation with Peach, a, a assortment of Toads, and a character that I don't think we've met prior to this game, which is Toadsworth. Toadsworth, yes. A very notable uh, introduction in that he never shows up again. Yeah, and I think maybe, you know, at, at the table, the, the pitch um, at the pitch meeting for this character is that he's maybe like an uppity British Toad. An old old toad. He's like the Alfred to uh, Mario's Batman. Ah, okay. But I, but not even really at all because he only shows up once and we never I, see him again. I could see him being a bit of a nag. Maybe Mario just kind of bailed on him. Though I think he's he seems like a like a a wise advisor for Peach who thinks he's wiser than he actually is and just talks tells Peach what she can't do and she probably was sick of that and got kicked him to the curb. I mean, she's a modern woman. She's constantly getting kidnapped by, by, by a Koopa. She doesn't need some weird toad guy to tell her what to do. Yeah. Um, so Mario and his comrades arrive on Isle Delfino, which they have found to be graffitied with uh, an assortment of toxic goo. Which we is should, the... We should also mention that Isle Delfino is Italian for dolphin, and it is shaped like a dolphin, and dolphin was the code name yes. for the Nintendo GameCube, so it's all kind of wink-wink, nod-nod. Yep, yep. Um, and so this... this Toxic goo has deprived Isle Delfino of the source of its power, um, which takes the form of the Shine Sprites. And Mario is pretty much immediately arrested uh, as he is suspected to be the culprit because the culprit who is going around putting this goo on everything has the shape of Mario, would you say? It has the... So everyone can... Two things. Everyone confuses Mario uh, with the villain that actually caused the graffiti, who we can, spoiler alert, uh, reveal is Bowser Jr. However, uh, Bowser Jr. takes the form of a see-through crystalline Mario with glowing red eyes. That would be like you, James, robbing a 7-Eleven, or rather not robbing a 7-Eleven, but everyone accusing you of it, but the security camera footage showing a crystalline, red, glowing-eyed James robbing. Who Who in the world would confuse that? The stupid, stupid people of Isle Delfino. I mean, as, as we have been able to observe, these people are very clearly uh, unable to perform normal tasks for themselves, such as retrieving fruit that is two feet away from them. They cannot do that. They need to ask Mario to retrieve fruit. They have entire fruit markets where they don't even have tables. Fruit is just laying on blankets on the ground. Um, and... Aside from tourism, I don't really understand how the Delfino economy works. I don't either. And I can only imagine their diet is just consisted of, consists of fruit and their daily routine is finding fruit. Um, 
eating it and diarrhea. <laughs> uh, a couple things to note about the resonance of Isle Delfino in the development. So we should describe them. They're kind of pear shaped, long limbed, uh, big nosed kind of uh, homunculi, essentially, <laughs> that all wear identical grass skirts. They're vaguely different colors. Uh, Nintendo was going to have more colors of them, including actual flesh tone colors, but wisely decided not to do that to avoid any kind of racial controversies. Yes. However, because of their proportions and dimensions, they are vaguely terrifying. Uh, and their diet of nothing but fruits probably explains why they're all a bit pudgy. Uh, yeah. And they, they can't even be bothered to pick up the fruit that they eat. So yeah. I'm assuming raging diabetes or something very unhealthy is going on. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, so again, Mario is arrested uh, under suspicion of being the culprit behind all this goo. But he is later released and told to clean up the island and recover the shine sprites to re- restore power to Isle Delfino. Yes. Can we also say, uh, I think this would make a great episode of Locked Up Abroad. <laughs> because that's I mean, essentially what it is. I would watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, before we get into kind of really talking about Isle Delfino itself, the hub world, it, you know, is probably a good place to start. I, we should note that this, in addition to Bowser Jr., this game has also introduced another character that found themselves in a lot of subsequent Mario games. Um, I think the first one after that was Mario Golf Toadstool Tour, or maybe it was Mario Kart Double Dash, whichever came out first. I was, that's Petey Piranha. Yeah, Who, yeah, you know, Petey Piranha, which seems really weird. So, well, it is notable because him and Bowser Jr. feel like they've been in Mario forever. And the fact yeah. is that they haven't, that they actually both made their premiere in this game. Um, but I think that is actually kind of a strength of the game and a strength of Nintendo's. Um, that they can introduce these new characters in Mario, and they're both, I would say, well-designed enough to feel like they've been there forever. Um, yeah. And they're their they're own unique characters, you know? Like, you, Bowser Jr. is not Bowser. You know, he has his own characteristics that differentiate him. So, yeah. uh, Nintendo, yeah, it, I, this game has problems, but in terms of uh, environment and kind of character creation and art direction, I think uh, it's very strong. And I would say that, you know, in addition to some of the mechanics that we'll talk about, there is one of the most glaringly obvious distinctions between this game and those Mario games, 2D and 3D that came before it, is the commitment to this beach vacation slash resort theme throughout the entirety of the game. And it's funny because at first the directors and Miyamoto himself thought that that world was too daringly out of character with Mario. Um, I think that was an exact quote. And I'm not going to say that they're, they're wrong. It's just, it's such a commitment. It's such a gamble that this game that they, that Nintendo made on this game. And I, I I can't help but respect it. And for all the ways that it doesn't work, it really, I think it does work in, in many ways. And, you know, assuming your, your enjoyment of the game could depend on how sick you get of that aesthetic and art direction. Well, it, I mean, what it really does is give the game uh, a very strong sense of identity. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, if you say Super Mario Sunshine to the average Nintendo gamer, they're going to think immediately of Flood. They're going to think of the tropical setting. They're going to think of Isle Delfino, where a game like, say, Super Mario Galaxy or 64 
they're, you know, they could think of many different things. Mm. I think that uh, going along with the idea of having water be a central element, they really wanted to show off, you know, what they had created in terms of aesthetics. Um, it, it is, it's a big gamble. It's a gamble that I think works, um, but there's less room for creativity. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of water, maybe uh, we should talk about Flood. Do you want to talk about Flood? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about Flood. So Flood is, uh, remind me what Flood stands for. It's an acronym. Flash Liquidizer Ultra Dousing Device. Right. So earlier when we were talking about how Mario with a water gun was kind of the impetus for this entire game, Mm -hmm. uh, they did not want to have Mario use a gun-like object um, for reasons, uh, you know, it's too much like a gun. Um, I think they specifically blamed America. Not blame is the wrong way to put it, but they were very aware of gun controversy in America, in the United States. They were, which is very bizarre to me because Japan has very strong gun laws and is very anti-gun. And it seemed like, you know, I don't know about you, but in America, we tend to like our guns. Um, it just seems odd that they would say that America was the reason, but I do think that this was within a couple years after Columbine that, you know, I don't know any of there's any connection between that happening and also Nintendo's decisions that they made with throughout, like with respect to this game. But, you know, even if Japan has, you know, is anti-gun, um, or whatever they're, even if they're pro-gun or what have you, you know, Columbine, that's a pretty hard thing to ignore. Well, yeah. I mean, it did lead to the cancellation of Super Mario School Shooter. Ah, um, yes. So, it's, yeah, it's, that, that did not go through. <laughs> um, so, Flood is a backpack Mario wears um, that shoots water and has various different attachments to it. Flood incorporates with the gameplay because Flood can be used as uh, essentially a jetpack. So, two streams of water will propel Mario up um, from Flood. Flood additionally has attachments to jump really high, um, to just spray water and clean things, um, to uh, like run really, or not run, but swim really fast in water. Um, Flood, uh, Flood also has a voice. He has a bit of a personality. And so Flood is kind of the gameplay gimmick that Super Mario Sunshine is based around. Yep. So Flood can help extend your jumps uh, he can be used to, you know, spray enemies, clean enemies, fill enemies with water, different things like that. Yep. And even though Mario 64 had an element of verticality to it, I would say that the nozzles in this game kind of added another another dimension to that verticality, which I think also sort of makes up for, I, I you know, I call them smaller size smaller size areas in my notes but you know when i when i look at that more I, I they're not really that much smaller or even bigger than the areas in mario 64 but there's something about the the levels in mario 64 that i find to just be more i don't know i don't know i don't know what to call them yeah i mean they're they might not be bigger but they might feel bigger yeah well when we get to the levels and talking yeah. about them um yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I do think that Flood gives you more control over how you travel in levels than you mm-hmm. had in Mario 64. Yeah. Um, 
And I think they do a decent job of building things around having flood and uh, like making flood essential for the gameplay. Yeah. Uh, that does backfire and we'll talk about that. Um, sure. But yeah, I think they do things with flood that you can do otherwise. Um, and I think for the most part flood works. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, certainly can lead to some frustrating moments. Um, but overall, I think that it is a, it's a mechanic that Nintendo probably could have tested more, but chose not to, or ran out of time. I don't know which, um, but yeah, I think if we could get into that a little bit more, maybe in the context of some of these levels. Yeah. Um, the first level of which I believe is Bianco Hills. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Delfino Plaza really quickly first? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's do that first. You're right. Um, Delfino Plaza is a very French uh, Riviera, you know, Italian influenced uh, or style. Um, I would, I guess, plaza, right? You know, a, a seaside plaza. Yeah, it's like a seaside town, like a beautiful yeah. vacation-y seaside town. Yeah. And, you know, it has like a series of interconnecting tunnels that you could use to get from one place to another. It has, you know, I'd say a pretty appealing look overall um obviously a lot of water a lot of villagers throughout a lot of fruit yeah, a um, lot of fruit and that serves as your hub world it is it is your hub world um i was looking at beta footage of delfino plaza and the game in general and uh what's kind of interesting is that the original delfino plaza was much more it feels like greek inspired it was a lot more uh, flat kind of gray textures and more simple block type buildings. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the Greek area in um, Sonic Unleashed a little bit. I did not play that game. I yes. really don't care for 3D Sonic games after Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. And oh, well. I apologize for that game. Or Sonic Adventure 2, should I say. But I didn't We're, we're going to talk about Sonic a little Thank bit later. You. you have no choice. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting. It was, it was a bit flatter looking, a bit less bright. Um, and additionally there were, in addition to the, uh, like Delfino citizens, there were ordinary humans, uh, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting to see, but Nintendo decided to not include them because they said it would be too jarring to have ordinary looking humans associating with Mario, who is human, but definitely not ordinary looking. Yeah. It's kind of funny because then, you know, 20 years later, they make Super Mario um, Odyssey yep. where they have New Donk City, which is entirely populated by humans who do not look like Mario. Um, and for whatever reason, they decided it worked then, but uh, it did not work for Sunshine. You can't, it, it's hard to believe that none, none of those people in New Donk City stopped Mario on the street and just asked him where he was from, why he looked like that. I mean, because he is... He's essentially a chubby child with a mustache to them. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. I would if I saw someone like that walking around, maybe I wouldn't, you know, be bold enough to stop them. That'd be, maybe that'd be a little rude, but I would, you know, nudge the person I was with and maybe point and stare. Well, also, New Donk City is on a floating cube in the middle of space, where if you leave it, you will die. So I feel like there's some very frightening uh, autocratic tendencies in the government <laughs> that would prevent people from 
questioning really anything about their reality. Right. Also, Mario holds a, a hat that is capable of uh, taking control of sentient creatures. Well, yeah. I mean, the, I think so, the eyeballs on the hat would be an attention grabber. That, that yeah, would, yeah, would, yeah, would yeah. make me point and stare. I would um, be frightened. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, do you have anything else to say about Tofino Plaza? Uh, in terms of level, no. Um, I think it is a little bit too big to be a hub world. I think the the real estate between levels to get there is can be a bit annoying. Um, we should also mention that even though it's not a level per se, there are shine sprites you can get yes. um, by performing various uh, secret and not so secret uh, activities. Yeah, and I mean maybe we should talk about some of those secret activities now because I think that some of them are the worst parts about the game. Sure. I mean, yeah, let's go for it. So, you know, in addition to the levels that they have in this game um, where, you know, there are a set amount of shine sprites that you can get, um, there are other ways that you can get shines. And please add some if I'm forgetting some. One of them is by collecting blue coins um, that exist in Delfino Plaza, as well as in each one of the levels. And you can trade in a certain amount of those blue coins for shines. Um, another is you can find hidden shines um, either by forming tasks or sometimes finding sort of, you know, levels within levels. Um, you know, you might find a warp pipe that takes you to a new level from Delfino Plaza um, and you can perform or, you know, overcome some, usually some sort of platforming or flood related um, puzzle in order to get a shine. And two of those are particularly awful uh, one of them is a pachinko machine where uh, you launched yep. into this, the inside of a pachinko machine and you were supposed to use flood as a way to hover around and get eight red coins. Now we also, we should kind of describe what a pachinko machine is for people who don't know. Go ahead. Um, so pachinko in Japan is Japan uh, outlawed gambling. However, there are these machines where you can uh, pay money and silver spheres will you'll shoot them and they can kind of go in various different slots in this machine um and based on where they land you will be rewarded with various uh, other silver spheres which you can then use to exchange for prizes uh in the place you're gambling um and then sell those prizes to get around the gambling laws it's also what um the uh, gaming corner in pokemon red and blue is based off of Yes, it is. And, you know, Mario, uh, a known gambling addict. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, decides to play his hand at Pachinko. And, by being you know, the Pachinko ball. By being the Pachinko ball and causing immense frustration for me. Um, it, it's just, it's broken. I, I did think at one point that I just was really bad at the water and the flood mechanics in this game. Um, it completely ignoring my other experiences with the game where I was very good at it. And I somehow let this level convince me that I was bad at it. And, and it's, I'm, I'm not, it's just a very poorly designed clusterfuck. Well, I think what it does is the cardinal sin of, um, especially a 3d platformer. I think video games, uh, when they're operating, you know, perfectly, they make you feel very in control, yes. especially for a 3d platformer. You are in control of Mario physically, everything he is doing, he is doing because you are making him do it. Um, the pachinko level, I think, is especially awful because you really don't feel like you have very much control at all. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. 
And I would say that I, I, I feel pretty in control for a lot of this game. You know, it's those moments where you don't, where the game really falters. Right. Um, so that is, yeah, I would say that's the worst secret shine in Delfino Plaza. Do we want yeah. to say anything else about Delfino Plaza? Um, now that we've gotten know, the, the there, venom of the pachinko machine out of our there, systems. There's one that's worse, but we don't really need to go too much into it. I mean, if you just YouTube lily pad level Super Mario oh. Sunshine, you can see it's just, you know, to, to really briefly summarize it, it is a challenge that you have to spend a lot of time getting to. It is a very difficult challenge that has also broken mechanics. And when you fail, you have to do the whole thing over again. And that is something in games that I very much dislike. And anyone who tells me that I'm a hypocrite because of my love for Dark Souls, we'll talk about that. I, yeah, I, I will never. Maybe, accuse maybe you we'll of that. fight. Um, I, I well, I think that level is designed around a mechanic that shows up repeatedly in the game that I think never ever works. I don't yes. think it ever works. So the idea is that you're using Flood to propel uh, like a lily pad, or it shows up in different forms in other levels. But essentially you're using the water pressure from shooting flood to move an object that you were floating on around. Yes. And it's, it's never fun. It never, never. really works the way you want. Um, you constantly have to stop and keep adjusting where you're shooting the water. I think it's something that they felt like they should do because again, water is a big focus of this game and water mechanics are a big focus, but I just don't think they ever got it right. And they never used it in a way that's interesting or, Fun. I could not agree more. And you almost have to wonder if they weren't so hot on it because I, they, it has limited use. They don't overdo it, but it's bad every time they do it. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's never fun. I'm glad they didn't use it any more than they did. Uh, it shows up maybe, you know, less than 10 times, but every time there's a shine associated with it, I kind of just roll my eyes and I'm like, ah, this again. Yeah. Um, before we talk about, so Delfino Plaza is a hub. But uh, there are actual bespoke level levels. Before yeah. we talk about those, should we talk about level structure in general and how uh, shines work? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so every level has uh, a possibility of 10 different shines, right? 10, I believe. Uh, you know what? I, I honestly don't remember. I'm pretty sure it's 10. So you can get those various different ways, just like Mario 64. When you go into the level, uh, you kind of have an option of different shines you can get. Um, we'll talk about a key difference between 64 and Sunshine in that respect. But essentially, uh, you always there's always a boss in each level. There's always 10 blue coins. There's always 100 regular coins that you can get to get a shine. 20 there's, blue coins, I think. Or maybe even more, 20 to 25 blue coins. Uh, yeah, it could be. Um, uh, let's see what else. There's always various bespoke um, kind of set piece shines you can get based on what the level is. Um, and there's always a race against Bowser Jr. slash Shadow Mario. Yes. So within each level, those are the, the shines you'll be going for. And then obviously each level kind of has its own gimmicks and aesthetic. And that's where those set piece shines come in. But there are always things you're going to be doing these levels for shines. So we can talk about the first level, Bianco Hills. Yes. Um, what do you think about Bianco Hills? I think, and I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I don't think that Nintendo has made a, or sorry, yeah, Nintendo has not given us a memorable first level in a Mario game other than Bomb on Battlefield Mario 64. I have found this and 
pretty much every other Mario 3D platformer first level that I can think of uh, to be incredibly uninspired. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it has pros and cons. Um, let's talk about what the level looks like a little bit. Sure. Um, it's, it's kind of this town area with a sliding slope of running water leading to it. Uh, it has a lake on the side and a giant windmill um, that kind of dominates half the level. Yeah. It's, it's very much of three parts. It feels like there's the town area and that's kind of its own separate distinct thing. Uh, it feels like there's the water area, which is kind of its own separate distinct thing. And then the windmill, which is yep. its own separate distinct thing. I think that's maybe why it doesn't stand out the way that Bob on Battlefield does. Bob on mm -hmm. Battlefield is very much of a piece. Um, it's all about that giant mountain. It's all about the Bob-ombs. Yep. This is a little bit scattershot. I think the pro to it is if you've never played a video game before, you've never played a Mario game before, because... Again, remember, it's, you know, it's an early GameCube title. Sure. Little, little kids may be playing this who've never even played a video game before. If you've never played a game before, I think sanctioning off sprites in these very separate areas may be helpful. Yeah. However, I still think that it could have been done better if that's what they were going for. Right. Um, and it just there's it doesn't feel like it has a big like a big sense of identity because everything feels so sectioned off yeah and i think nintendo what they were going for was to have each one of the levels in this game feel like a cohesive whole like, like a particular area on the island of delfino and this is just your town and a lake and that's in kind of sharp contrast to what they did in their previous 3D effort of Mario 64 were, and maybe this was just a result of kind of limitations in development because this was very early in the stages of 3D platforming. Um, this was the first 3D platformer. And, you know, there, the game, the levels of Mario 64 kind of had this like element. It's almost like a bunch of ideas stitched together. And, and I think, and that makes it sound like I'm criticizing it. And I'm absolutely not. I think it works very well. And like Bomb on Battlefield has a mountain in the middle, you know, it has the same kind of color scheme and such, but there's, there's a lot of ideas that they're incorporating at different sections of each of these levels, including Bomb on Battlefield and others. And I just find that to be really interesting. And I think it varies up the gameplay. Um, I would say that they don't really do that here. I mean, they certainly place like certain obstacles for you to get around. Um, it's, it's not as, it's not as like a bunch of like area, like distinct areas stitched together into a whole, like it feels like they kind of said, okay, this level will be the town level. And so here we go. Well, and I think what makes Bob on Battlefield work in a way that this does not. And I think all the levels in Mario 64 in general is, uh, in 64, they're much smaller. And I think that serves it well for multiple reasons. First because they're smaller, you kind of have to run through most of the level to get to whatever star you're going to. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing the first star in Bob on Battlefield, you're going to run past that chain shop pretty much yep. no matter what. Yep. Whereas in Bianco Hills, it's so big, you could just not even see the windmill the first time you play Bianco Hills. Yeah. I think part of what... So there's a style of uh, gameplay that one of the producers coined for Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine. And I don't know the Japanese word, but essentially it means like um, garden box. So in Japan, they have garden boxes, which are, you know, small boxes that have complete gardens inside of them. 
And that's, that was their philosophy with Mario 64 and with Mario Sunshine to have like essentially a complete world inside a box. Mm-hmm. For 64, they couldn't make them too big because of limitations of the hardware. And I think Nintendo saw this as weakness and wanted to make larger levels. However, with, uh, you know, with hindsight, I think it served that game well because as I said before, you know, you kind of have to know the level very intimately by the time you're, you know, four stars in and you kind of know what it's going to throw at you. For this game and for a lot of Nintendo GameCube era games, I felt like with the freedom of being able to render these really large spaces, they just kind of figured, well, we can, so we should. Mm -hmm. And so every level in this game, and this is going to be a problem for multiple levels, is really big but that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a lot of interesting things to do in that space. Yeah. And this is something you saw with uh, Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Perfect example is Hyrule Field. It's this enormous space that I felt like Nintendo could do, so they did, but then they didn't fill it with anything. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, we can make this enormous giant space. We can finally render this. We have the software to do it. Or I'm sorry, the hardware to do it. And that's kind of it. It's the Jurassic Park problem, right? Like you, yeah. you never stop to consider, oh, you only thought about if you could, not if you should. Um, and Bianco Hills has this problem. Some of the other levels have this problem worse when we talk about them, but um, it, it's just this big space where sometimes it feels like you're moving through it just to move through it. And, and I, I'm going to disagree with you on, Twilight Princess just I'll defend Twilight Princess I guess I I don't mean to say disagree I just my opinion is more like I I can see the the perspective that it's too big when I was playing Twilight Princess for the first time I was fresh off of playing Shadow of the Colossus for the first time and I always ever since then I thought I want Shadow of the Colossus meets Zelda I want a Zelda game like that and sure enough they did it pretty much with Breath of the Wild um they did fill up with a lot of things, but you know, generally I liked how big Hyrule feel was. I, I, I think it, it kind of added a little bit of like drama and gravity to the, to the, to the epic story. I, yeah. Mario I, has no such epic story. No, 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 no. But I mean, you would agree that I think part of their motivation to do this is, Oh gosh, now we have new hardware. We can render these enormous spaces. Yeah. So we should. Yeah. And, and, and just, for people that are listening who haven't played the game or you who have, who might even be disagreeing with us, we're not trying to say that the level is enormous, but it is, it is something that feels bigger than what a Mario game should be given kind of what you're, and it's almost like Nintendo thought that because Mario has these abilities to get around in a different way than you ever have before, that it kind of justified their choice to expand the size of the levels. If that is what they thought, to whatever extent I, I disagree. Uh, I don't think that that is a reason to make anything bigger. Um, but would you, would you say that that's right? You know, it, it's not like they, you walk in and you're like, this is enormous. This is like an island on a Grand Theft Auto game. No, yeah, it's, not like it's, that. It's, it's nothing like that. However, I think we should also mention there's really only about eight or nine levels, yes. like actual bespoke levels. And compared to 64, seven, seven yeah, compared yeah. to 64, which had a much greater number, but I think they justified that with making them larger, not enormous, larger, um, with seemingly more to do, but not necessarily in reality. 
Yes. Anything else on? Uh, uh, no, um, no. Uh, you know, pleasant, nice, but kind of. Um, yeah, that's about it. That brings us to the next level, which is one I'm actually pretty big fan of, which is Rico Harbor. Yeah, I will say comparing the two, I feel like Rico Harbor would have been a stronger first level. Um, and Agreed. I, I do think more of the kind of gimmicky set piece stuff in Rico Harbor works a lot better, except yeah. for one very notable exception, which um, we'll get to that you did not have as much trouble with as I did. Yeah. And you know what? Before we go into this, I actually just realized something I wanted to say about Bianco Hills, only in the sense that I think another, and this is going to be one of many, many, many pitches, and I'm going to try to incorporate one in every episode, regardless of whether we're talking about something related to it or not, um, of why you should play Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, God. um, Because the first (laughs) level of Banjo-Kazooie, Mumbles Mountain, is the perfect size. It is a, it feels like a lived in space, you know, in this cartoonish world, you know, it's a, it it is a cohesive whole that works really well and is not too big. Nothing, almost nothing in Banjo-Kazooie is too much. So that's my pitch of the, of the episode. Maybe I'll fit in another one. Yeah. I think you get one per episode. Your Banjo-Kazooie championing is, is bordering on pathological. Good. That's my goal. (laughs) Um, anyway, sorry, back to Rico Harbor. So one thing I really like about Rico Harbor and, and just, I guess, to really quickly describe the level, there is a, I mean, it is a harbor. You kind of start near uh, or on a pier and immediately in front of you are, you know, there's a, uh, what, a freighter or like a cargo ship? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a harbor. It's like a, it's a dock. Essentially. Yeah, right. And there's a, you know, there, there are ships. Um, there's kind of like a, you know, um, what would you call it? Like a cliff side, like a town kind of like on, not really a cliff, but it's really on the, the, the side of the, of the Harbor. Um, and there is also a large uh, scaffolding, really enormous scaffolding structure just kind of hanging that, that makes up most of this level and gives this level most of its verticality. Definitely. Um, for better or for worse. I think for better. I, I loved that kind of jungle gym that they gave us. And, you know, it was one of those instances where when you fell, it didn't feel as frustrating or maybe I have a selective memory, but I just remember being very, uh, looking at this very warmly. I, I thought this, was, this level was very, very fun, still is, um, and kind of shows off some of the more fun aspects of the water mechanics of this game. I agree. I think this level, uh, if you fall off, it is not that egregious to get back to where you're going. I don't think that's true of other levels, but mm-hmm. for this level, yes. I think the platforming with Mario on the scaffolding is very fun. Um, I think most of the shines here are enjoyable to get. Yeah. Uh, I will point out the one that I think is a nightmare, and that is getting the eight red coins while surfing on the squid. Um, <laughs> the squid surfing mechanics are fine. I think they're good. Uh, I failed this challenge maybe 12 to 15 times and it was never in the actual getting of the red coins. It was always at the end landing on the platform with Mario on the squid. For whatever reason, every time I played, I would jump and try and land and Mario would crash and he would die and you would have to restart the entire challenge from the beginning. That also bleeds into uh, one of the other problems of the game is that if you get a game over have fun getting back to the star or i'm sorry the shine from your starting point in delfino plaza 
Um, it's not the fault of Regal Harbor, but it's it's definitely a bugbear I have at the game. Yeah. But that one one shine in this area gave me way more grief than it should have. <laughs> and apparently that wasn't even an issue for you. It never no, happened. No, it, it was not. And I, I don't think this is an instance where I had a selective memory. There were just It's just one of those things where I just never had a problem with. There were plenty of other things in the game I had a problem with, but this was not one of them. Yeah. Um, boss fight with a squid here um, where you pull out the tentacles, which uh, will recur in other levels. It does. And that I, I would say that, you know, if you want to get to know us or me in particular, you'll know that repeated boss fights, copy pasted boss fights are not, not great in my opinion. Not, no. not, I'm not a fan. No, not great. I think some of the other boss fights in this game are, are quite good. But... Yes, I mean, I think this this one was fine too, but when I saw it come back, I, I know even as a kid, I was like, oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, but yeah, overall, very fun area. I love the aesthetic. Um, I think it works. Yeah, and also I should just say that there are certain things that are excluded from my distaste for repeated boss fights. You know, Bowser in Mario 64, I don't really find that that annoying, though I, you know, having to do the whole throw them around and throw them into a bomb and you know it, it's fine you know it's it's not bad and i certainly think that they're, they're the boss fights are there's enough space between those boss fights where it's not you know annoying to go back to it plus the lead-up levels the bowser levels in mario 64 are fantastic but i digress yeah um let's move on to gelato beach gelato beach now all right so this is a level that i i would say i don't dislike i think it's one of the most i don't know how to, well how would you put it just kind of like plain levels in the game well i okay so i'm a big defender of this level and i actually think it might be my favorite because ah. i think in terms of the island vacation aesthetic i think this one um leans into it the most heavily and it feels the most like a real space um compared describe to the, the space i will describe the space so it is a beach um Inhabited by these weird, like, duck-lipped uh, kind of sphere monsters. Um, and the kind of big set-piece item is, like, a giant tower mm. on a hill uh, that is surrounded by big mirrors. And that plays into one of the shines. You kind of reorient the mirrors to make an egg hatch. And the egg winds up being a giant caterpillar, which turns into a butterfly, etc., etc. Um, but the actual beach area feels like a beach. Um, it has like a little cabana hut where people are making drinks. Um, it, it feels the most, like I said, lived in area of this whole game. Yes. Um, it's very relaxing. It's very peaceful. It has one shine uh, that I think is disgustingly egregious uh, that you can talk about. But um, yeah, what do you think of it? I mean, the only feature that's really missing to add to that realism is that Mario cannot go to the Tiki Bar and get plastered. Mario cannot get blacked out in this game, which no. I find, listen, I don't know about you, but when I go on vacation, I want to make zero memories. I agree. You know, even back when, you know, 10-year-old Aaron was probably just dying for a drink on the beach. It just, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even as a kid, I was like, alcohol, where are you? How can I black out and forget this vacation? How can I make possible? sure I make no memories of any of this? Yeah. Um, oh, well, the well, actually, though, one of the shines does involve making drinks. Um, it's, the, it's the one where you use water to push giant pieces of fruit to the tiki bar or the seaside bar. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of boring. 
Um, but it works. It's, it's kind of boring. I, I used to think this was really frustrating. It's one of those things where you hear a lot of hate and you might even hate it yourself, but that's because there's usually one obstacle that you haven't figured out how to get over. You know, those little duck creatures like to fling things into the air. They fling you into the air. And if you push, you know, a giant watermelon into them, they will fling it into the air and it will break. And the way to get around that is just to go up to those duck things and stomp on them and then push the watermelon past them. I did not do that. Um, I actually just sprayed them with water and they will also. Oh, you're right. That works too. It's one of those things where like when I was younger, I did not realize, I didn't think to do that. I was just impatient. I just wanted to push it past all the obstacles as soon as I could. And it was frustrating, but overall, I mean, it's a boring shine, but it's not a, it's not a especially difficult one. No. Um, the war crime here, I will say, is getting the eight red coins around the coral reef. Um, so I w- four of the red coins are just located within the reef itself. It's very nice and relaxing and peaceful. You swim out there, you dive down, you get the coins. The other coins are tacked to um, roving bands of fish. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound that annoying, but chasing them down is incredibly annoying mainly because the game allows them to um, swim through geometry in the level. So you can be chasing down a band of fish and about to get a red coin and they will swim through sand and take the red coin with them and not allow you to follow them. And then you have to wait and kind of guess where they may come out on the other side of the level geometry. It's incredibly annoying. It's the kind of thing where if they taste or, taste tested if they taste tested this game it would taste real <laughs> real salty and real pineapple uh but no if they had play tested this a, lo- a little bit longer i think they would have taken that out and i think this is kind of where you can see the rush development showing i i don't think nintendo nintendo is very good about not releasing games until they are complete and ready i feel like this is a game that they released before it was fully finished and tested mm-hmm. and i think this is where you can kind of see that I'd agree with that. Um, There's also a level here uh, where you go into kind of like a separate zone. And you have secrets that we talked about before. Yeah. And you ride like a bird made out of collapsing piles of sand. Uh, People hate this level. I don't think it's that bad. Um, I think it was pretty neat. It's it's worth mentioning. um, Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't hate it. You collect coins and it's it's fine yeah i've failed at it before i've been frustrated with it but i overall i i I look at it positively yeah anything else about gelato beach nope and what should we talk about next because kind of at this point the game opens up a little bit more right and we should mention that you unlock more levels based on um kind of the the number of sprites you get yeah or shines i should say should we do uh pinna park uh yeah yeah what tell us about pinna park pinna park is um kind of opens on a beach um, that has a very large door to a very, I guess, large amusement park. Um, the beach is kind of a secondary area. There is a couple different shines that you can get by doing things out there. Um, but, you know, the, the real fun to be had, allegedly, is in the amusement park, which consists of a merry-go-round, um, a bunch of spinning ships, uh, a Ferris wheel or some sort of like windmill Ferris wheel type hybrid um, and a roller coaster. Uh, I would say allegedly, because I feel like, again, this is where 
um, the, the vastness of the levels kind of bites it because if you fall off any of these very high rides attempting to get a uh, shine, uh, you have to go all the way back to the yes. bottom to get back to where you were. It is much and, more difficult, and I don't think they give you the rocket nozzle to shoot yourself upwards like they do in Regal Harbor. Correct. Also, one of the main like set piece things here are uh, a pair of these giant swinging ships kind of that you would see at an amusement park, and they are very annoying, and if you fall off of them, again, it is extremely annoying to get back to where you were. Yes, and, and because it is an annoying aspect of a level, uh, Nintendo obviously decided to involve it in getting eight red coins. Yeah, it's what a great choice. <laughs> um, we should also mention that this originally was not going to be a bespoke level. This mm -hmm. was originally going to be part of the hub world. Yes. Um, but during production, they decided to make it a level. Um, and that kind of makes sense. And I feel like that's kind of where some of the frustrating parts lie. Because I think if this operated as a hub and not as a space to actually get all the shines, yep. I think it would be fine. I think when they made the transition to make it its own level, I think that's where uh, kind of some of the BS stuff comes in. Because yeah. it originally wasn't designed for that. It wasn't. Uh, and yeah, it shows. Um, you know, and, and I don't know why this of all levels made me think of it, because I think that this, what I'm about to say, kind of factors in this level less than others. But we, we forgot to talk about Yoshi. Um, Yoshi was first... Y'all forgot about Yoshi. Y'all forgot about Yoshi. Uh, Yoshi first appears in Rico Harbor, I think think if you're I mean, maybe it's just the way the first time i ever saw yoshi based on the order in which i was trying to get um actually you know what no he doesn't he appears in isle dofino first i think well i mean it's easy it's very easy to forget because he is a forgettable element he, he's game. such a forgettable element it's the first uh outing of 3d yoshi and it really feels like an afterthought but maybe we should talk about yoshi really quick i know it's a bit of a tangent but i don't know where else we're going to talk about it I mean, I think we could talk about things that don't work. I would put Yoshi in that category. Oh, that's true. I mean, okay, we'll talk about Yoshi a little bit later when we talk about things that we don't think work. Unless you want to talk about it now. <laughs> uh, let's save it. All right. Yeah. We'll save it. I don't know why this level made me think of Yoshi. Um, uh, Yoshi famously loves theme parks. Uh, that's true. Um, so at this level, I think, and you may feel differently about this. I think the one like major redeeming factor for this level to me is the roller coaster boss fight. Um, when you first arrive, I think in this level, I think it's the very first shine, if not, maybe this is the second, um, you fight a, what, like another one of like the Bowser Jr. mechanical robot type things. And you're on a roller coaster, um, and you have to, you pick up these rockets, these water-powered rockets along the way, and you have to shoot them to destroy Bowser. And I just found that to be a really fun fight. It's just it's a lot different than what I feel like we were used to seeing in Mario games. I think it's an example of using the space and the concept very well, mm -hmm. um, which I don't think happens with this level for some of the other uh, sprites or giants. Why do we keep calling them sprites? Um, for some of the other shines, uh, I think it's, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's an excellent use of the roller coaster. Yeah. Um, I don't think the roller coaster works in some of the other stuff. And I don't think, the, I, I don't think any of the rides work very well as set pieces for shines in the way that the roller coaster does, uh, for mm. that particular one. Yeah. So, um, one element that I think that I don't think we went into a great detail on, but we probably should because it's, you know, 
an element here. And, and, and this is kind of tied to the, to the sand bird that we talked about with Gelato Beach. But each one of these levels has an area that you go to where Shadow Mario takes Flood away from you and you are left with just old-fashioned 3D Mario platforming. Um, I generally found these levels to be fun and challenging um, despite any frustrations associated with them. There maybe is one or two that I think is unnecessarily frustrating, but I wouldn't say it's, it's not, it's not entirely because of the Mario platforming. I think it's more due to other elements. Um, I'm referring mostly to the Chucksters. I don't know if you ever got to that shine, but we don't have to talk about it. It's just, I just, I think these levels mostly work. Um, <laughs> um, I will reserve my opinions for that. Uh, when we talk about things that don't work. <laughs> okay. You don't want to talk about that now either, huh? Uh, no, no, I, I, I'm saving. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot a big wad when we get to things that don't Ah, work. I see. Well, I, I don't want to get in the way of you and your wad. Stop, I, you know, stop, be, stop edging me, Jimmy. Because, because this is something that I am generally a fan of, I don't mind talking about it right now because I do generally like it. Yoshi, on the other hand, we should save for later. Yeah. Um, so I don't have anything else to say about Pinna Park. Uh, yeah, neither do I. Um, I think it looks great. I think the gameplay, not the best. Okay. Um... Let's do Serena Beach. Uh, yeah, a, a level that I completely missed out on until like near the end of when I was playing the game because um, it's a little bit hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I think best level. What do you think? Um, I'm torn between that and Noki Bay. And then Noki Bay, you know, if we ignore one glaring factor that we'll talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Serena Beach is really good. Even I would say maybe it's weakest shine is you know again so just to kind of set the stage mario is on like a sunset beach um with a hotel and the majority of the level takes place in the hotel and as you have correctly noted before it is essentially the big booze haunt um of this game definitely yeah this is uh, essentially the ghost house level yes um and i think it's very beautiful i think it's one of the most beautiful looking levels like when you're outside especially because of the sunset um it's in perpetual sunset um, the sun literally uh, doesn't set. Um, it's in the process of setting for all eternity. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a real hellscape. And you know, the hotel itself is has a lot of booze, and it's you know got your hotel rooms. It's got like a pool, um, and then below there is a casino, and I think below that there is a hellscape uh, or like a just just abomination of a giant roulette wheel where King Boo occupies. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think I like this because I think like Gelato Beach, this level feels more like a real space than some of the others. Um, yeah. The hotel actually kind of feels like a hotel. Yeah. And I think for an indoor space, uh, I think sometimes the camera isn't the best, but I think they made it work for the most part. Yeah. Um, typically think- like indoor narrow spaces in a Mario game or any 3D platformer, the camera can kind of be a nightmare, but yeah. I think it, I think they do a decent job here. And I would generally say that I like this level overall, maybe with the exception of, I think there's a, a shine in it where you land on the beach and you are tasked with cleaning up the entire beach. Um, and you're, you're given, you know, flood obviously can help you that you can constantly refill your water supply, but also there are barrels lying, lying around that you can throw that create a huge splash to get rid of some of the toxic goo. But I just, the, the kind of clean up this place type idea is not really one I'm a fan of. Um, 
I just found it to be a little tiring. And also, you know, occasionally there could be like one little bit of goo that you don't see that's left somewhere. And if you don't, I, there were a couple times when I did this when I was a kid where I could have sworn I had beaten the level and I didn't. And I ran out of time. Well, young Jimmy was famously stupid. That's true. Still is. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I really don't have a whole lot else to say about this level. I think it's a really good level overall. Um, you know, is there anything else you think we should describe about it? Uh, no, not really. Um, I, uh, no, I like it. I think cool. it, um, I think it looks pretty cool. Pretty All right. Noki Bay? Get, I was going to say, we're finally at Noki Bay, your favorite. Let's, let's do Noki Bay. So, would you say Noki Bay is Bay? Noki Bay is Bay. I would say uh, that Noki Bay is Bay. Um, there is, this, this level is, I, number one, I think it has the best music in the game. As much as I kind of enjoy the, the Isle Delfino uh, song, the, the main plaza theme, uh, I think this is a, a really peaceful, great um, song. And the level itself, you are essentially kind of on a cliff side. There's some very deep water that you start in. I mean, if you look down, it's like just black. It's like almost like an abyss down there. It's like you're at the, the, the what's it called? The Mariana Trench, like the, the deepest part of the ocean. But you're along this kind of like very beautiful cliff side with this very calming music. And I think the main feature of this level is that the walls of the cliff have these sort of runes in them that when you spray them, part of the wall will move in certain ways to create you know, areas for you to wall jump up or, you know, path, pathways for you to, to, to climb up and reach the top of the cliffs. And then also explore certain tunnels and caverns that it reveals as well. Um, it also has these kind of seashells that are uh, located atop these kind of spire towers that you can yes. climb up uh, in a way that evokes to me uh, the Forgotten City or Forgotten Capital from Final Fantasy VII. Or bit. maybe Innsmouth from uh, what I would imagine Innsmouth to look like in the shadows over, uh, shadow over Innsmouth um, once, you know, the fish people have come. Well, yeah, I was going to say pre or post fish people because not pre fish people. It's certainly <laughs> the, the, the fish people actually showed up and they already had those things and they're like, oh man, this seems like a really good place to make a deal. Uh, I feel like Noki Harbor was definitely the inspiration for the fishing hamlet and the Bloodborne DLC. I would agree. And, <laughs> and, and now begins our two hour tangent of the Bloodborne DLC. Uh, we'll get there someday. Someday. Um, yeah. You know, and so I see the one major, major factor of this level that is just abysmal is the area where you fight the boss, the boss arena, which is, un, is it's, it's comically enormous full of coins, which you need in order to not die because you will quickly lose health uh, as you drown. Um, while you fight, well, not really fight, while you clean the teeth of a giant eel. Yeah, you're not fighting. You're helping this guy out. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I have many thoughts about this. I, I think this is definitely a weakness. I also think in general, the verticality of this level is a weakness, uh, mainly because, again, the, the time between you know, iterations, like if you fall, getting back to where you were is very mm -hmm. time consuming and very annoying. Um, I think the boss area is awful, but I do have a theory as to why it's like that. Why? Um, because it's so big and empty and we should kind of describe, you're kind of in like these underwater like yeah. ruins. Um, and it's, it's basically a giant cylinder. I think once upon a time in this area, there were multiple eels that popped out, which would explain why it's so big. 
-hmm. I think they realize that it's a nightmare to actually clean the teeth or clean the, the gunk off the eel's teeth. And I think they realize that you would grow old and die before you get to <laughs> with more than one eel. Yeah. And so they remove those. I think they also wanted to keep the ability to get 100 regular coins. And so they were kind of forced to leave the level as it was. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the density of coins, if they shrunk it down, would be kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, I also think that the boss fight itself is really annoying because if you... Sure is. If, yeah, as you're cleaning the, the, the gunk off of the eel's teeth using Flood, if the eel bites you and swallows you and then spits you back out, um, it kind of resets your progress on how you were cleaning each tooth. Once each tooth is cleaned fully, it will remain cleaned. But if you get 95% clean on a tooth and he sucks you in, uh, all that progress is lost. Mm -hmm. Add on to that the ticking clock of you basically being about to drown at, at every moment. Um, it, it's, it's not fun. It's annoying. It's clunky. Controlling flood in an entirely un underwater space and trying to aim to clean the teeth is clunky. I think the only way you could fix this, not even fix, but alleviate it is just give Mario unlimited health. Don't yeah. make him, don't make him drowning the whole time because yep. it, 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 it's, it's too clunky. It's too slow. It's too obtuse. The area is too big. It, it just doesn't work. Yep. I agree. Um, I, I don't have anything else to say about Noki Bay. No, I mean, I, I want to like this level. I think aesthetically it's beautiful. I think the music is nice. I just think it's, it's too big for its own good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I think that leaves us with, uh, I mean, unless we want to talk a little bit about the Bowser level, um, the final, the end game, which I think we should. Um, yeah. Is uh, Pianta Village? Is that how you say it? Uh, I mean, who cares? Because who cares about this level? Frankly, I agree. <laughs> uh, this this level, uh, you cross a giant bridge to a village that I think is suspended, um, either uh, like on the side of a tree or on the top of a giant mushroom. I, I'm not I like in, seemingly in the cone of this infinite volcano. I guess I don't. Know. Yeah, I don't know. It, this is a pretty forgettable level, in my opinion. I think, and this is the one that I did last the first couple times I played the game, and I think it's. If you look at it as the last level, it's pretty terrible. This most recent playthrough, I saved Milky Bay for last. Uh, good move. Good move. Um, yeah. The underside of this level, so it's like a, it's a floating island suspended over a volcano that, frankly, I wish would just erupt and take away the whole thing. Is it a volcano? Um, I honestly don't know if I've ever... I, I, I don't know. It's, it's got, like, cliff sides all around it. I just assumed it was in a volcano. I don't I know. Don't, I don't know. But either, either way, it's like this town of the Delfino people... Um, kind of, not even really, because there's only like two buildings. And then on the underside of it, there's this jungle gym kind of uh, climbing area where Mario can go. The only kind of notable set piece shine here that looks cool, but isn't actually very functionally fun to play, um, is the entire island gets covered in kind of some lava or fire, which is also yeah. why I thought it was in a volcano. And you're um, also without flood. You're also without flood. So you kind of have to uh, navigate the underneath jungle gym area and then the overworld um, in spots that aren't burning yep. to get to get back to flood and then to get the shine um that's really the only one that i think is worth t even talking about or even i i agree I, I i i think that's really the only good shine and i think that this level out of all of them despite my criticisms of the first level i really feel like 
some half effort was given in putting this level together. It really, really feels to me like they kind of phoned it in with this level, almost as if they thought they needed another level. And then they just threw together as many quick ideas as they could. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have the cohesion that other levels have. It feels very slapdash, like, oh, here's some mushrooms. Here, we have this jungle gym. Here is a giant tree at the back. It's, it has these, like, roads, too, that you have to guide chain chomps through, which isn't very fun. Yeah. Like, it, it just, it, again, it, it, the levels here in this game in general, they share the aesthetic of this, like, island vacation, Yep. But none of them really stand out in terms of like set piece stuff. And this, I think, suffers the most from that. It feels very um, scatterbrained. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, lastly, we could talk about um, just Bowser really quick. There's a final Bowser fight because this is a Mario game. I think the fight's pretty good. I think the lead up to it is terrible. And it because mostly it is, it's not like, you know, the kind of fun lead up to Bowser levels that we've, now grown accustomed to due to Mario 64. It is a lava boat that you are steering with your flood, which as we talked about is one of the worst mechanics of the whole game. Um, so yeah. I have nothing else to say about it other than it's shitty. Well, and coming off of Mario 64 where those Bowser levels were really striking and gave yeah. off the impression of this like evil castle kind of aesthetic, which most Bowser levels in other Mario games have, this doesn't have that really mm -hmm. yeah i would agree um yeah very forgettable in terms yep. of last bowser levels so all right that kind of wraps up the summary of um the worlds of the game you know aaron what would you say works in your opinion about this game i i think the design and the aesthetic work uh i think it, i agree like i said it gives the game a very strong identity uh, as you mentioned, Nintendo was very reluctant to kind of commit to this aesthetic to the point where they had an internal argument over whether or not Mario should have a short sleeve shirt. <laughs> um, but I think going for it in the way that they did works. I disagree with some of their level design choices, but in terms of setting the game in this world, I think that was a good choice. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like you mentioned before, it gives it a lot of personality. That singular focus on the beach vacation theme works both for and against it. I would argue mostly for it. Um, I enjoy the mechanics of the game. I think that, like, Flood allows for a lot of really interesting and fun movements that I, again, I like overall. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I love levels like Rico Harbor and Noki Bay and uh, Santa Beach. Um Yeah. Uh, and, and Delfino Plaza, I think, is a lot of, you know, is a lot of fun. Um, that's all I really, you know, we kind of touched on all those things earlier. What, uh, what doesn't work, do you think? Um, in addition to some of the things I mentioned about kind of a little uninspired first level, um, you know, there are times where I would say maybe the aesthetic gets a little, kind of weighs on you a little bit. Um, it just becomes a little bit less fun in certain moments. Again, there are certain secret shines that are not that fun, the Pachinko Sheen machine being one of them, the lily pad level. Um, and the one that we didn't really talk about was Yoshi, um, other than saying that he seems like an afterthought. He, he really does. I mean, he, he, he's, it's a really lame first 3D outing for Yoshi. Uh, I think some of the jumping controls for Yoshi don't work very well. Um, you know, Yoshi's main purpose is to eat fruit, which you use to keep him alive. If you let his like kind of health meter go down, 
uh, he'll just disappear. And so you have to keep eating fruit and you can also use the fruit to essentially vomit fruit juice. Well, yeah. So that's the thing. So Yoshi has his own kind of water gauge, but the gauge is his stomach and he is spraying stomach acid, I guess. Yeah. Um, Also, Yoshi dissolves in water, apparently. Yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah, Yoshi feels like a huge afterthought. I think Nintendo realized uh, people were a little bit frustrated when they had Yoshi cameo in Mario 64, but being Mm -hmm. functionally unplayable. So I think they felt pressure to include Yoshi in this game. Yep. Um, But nothing about Yoshi feels justified. I completely agree. And even the directors hinted in an interview that they did, there was more Yoshi stuff that was cut. Um, I can't imagine what they cut would have saved the game by any means, but you know, it's interesting to think about what that could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think they got Yoshi right until galaxy two. I agree. Yeah. Um, additionally, what also doesn't work and we kind of hinted at this, but I, I just think the size of the levels um, yeah. don't work, but particularly because there's no checkpointing. And I think that's a big problem with the game. Again, if you die during one of these challenges, you are booted back to the beginning of these rather large levels, especially yeah. something like Noki Bay, where if you fall from the very top of the cliffs, have fun spending you know three to four minutes yeah. platforming back up there. Additionally, if you get a game over, you're booted back to Delfino Plaza, which means you have to go back into the level, go back to the Shine Spray, go back to where you were. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just baggage that adds gameplay time that I don't think is necessary. Yeah. Another element that I don't think works, specifically because of that problem, are the floodless kind of special zone shines okay. in each level. So like you mentioned earlier, every level has a kind of secret area, not secret, but kind of out of the way area where you enter uh, a zone where flood gets taken away and you platform as Mario doing traditional Mario platforming in these kind of like abstracted spaces um, that feel actually a little bit Mario Galaxy. Yeah. Um, I think on their own, they're fine. I think they're very challenging, and I think that uh, the challenge is exponentially greater when you have to get platform back to them. Not, not even challenge, just annoyance. Um, the, one of the directors, the creators, said that they purposely made this Mario game more difficult because they felt like it was a sequel to Mario 64, and so people playing it would kind of have platforming experience. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons they felt justified in making some of these very, very difficult. Yeah. Which again would be fine. I think it would be fine if when you died, you didn't have to go all the way back to the beginning of the level or all the way back to Delfino Plaza if you got a game over. That's where I think it crosses the line. They try and mitigate this by including um, like secret one-up mushrooms in most of them. But again, that's, it feels like a Band-Aid um, yeah. to what is otherwise kind of a large problem. I think it's a fair criticism. And I I would say that despite all my 3d platforming experience up to that point, that all the practice I had had, I still found those levels to be difficult. Um, So they certainly accomplished their goal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Again, like in a vacuum without everything around it, I think they're fun and they work. I just think the baggage of having to replay them if you lose is kind of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Aaron, do you want to introduce the, now we get to the fun part. Oh yeah. I love the fun <laughs> part. So uh, with every game we play or film or show we watch, uh, we want to think about kind of the world. We've been talking about Delfino Plaza. We've been talking about the aesthetic. Um, so let's, let's kind of talk about the world of this game. Yeah. Um, if we were to make a movie of this game, um, let's, let's cast it. How would it work? <laughs> um, well, I mean, don't, uh, you know, improve on perfection. Um, you, you know, maybe travel back in time and get Bob Hoskins to, uh, play Mario again. I don't think he was ever a good Mario. He wasn't, but why, you know, the fans know him as, you know, that'd be like recasting Thor or, you know, Iron Man. You can't, you can't do it. I suppose. Um, My suggestion for casting Mario is, uh, well, I have a couple ideas, but what's, uh, what's, what's uh, Jack Black doing? these days he's yes, a good mario you know that's a great one too um as as annoying as that could get and i say that as a jack black fan he's got those mannerisms that you know he they would obviously have him do that for mario um i can see that getting a little annoying but it, it seems fitting uh one noticeable character that we would not cast because they're not in the game is luigi which is kind of interesting he's, yeah he's really nowhere to be found in this game he's chained up in nintendo's basement well, I was going to say he never got out of that house from Luigi's Mansion. Oh, I mean, that's probably true also. Yeah. Um, what do we think about Princess Peach? Who are we getting? Uh, you know, I didn't really think about this one too hard. She's like not in the game very much, kind of unfortunately. Um, if I'm kind of going off the cuff, uh, you know, let's get, get an Emily Blunt in there. I'm going to say, huh. Um... Do you not want to see an Emily Blunt, Bob Hoskins pairing? I mean, I feel like that's really what the fans want. If the movie was nothing but two and a half hours of Emily Blunt and Bob Hoskins smoking a blunt on the beach, mm. I wouldn't watch it. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. I, I thought you were going to say you would. No. Would. Um, no, what about, what about Jennifer Lawrence? Let's get a Jennifer Lawrence as, as uh, uh, a serious Princess Peach. I guess. I'm getting yeah. kind of sick of her. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, Speaking of people I'm not sick of, I'm for the voice of Flood. I was just yes. I'm getting I'm getting Fran Drescher in this role, the role (laughs) she was she was born to play. Um, I you know I feel like she's probably free. Uh, I haven't seen her in anything for a long time. She's probably been training for this role. I I think so. Um, Fran Drescher as Flood, I I think could work. Yeah. Um. Yeah, or uh, maybe maybe an Adam Devine. I feel like a sassy Adam sure. Devine could work. Yeah, yeah that, that works. And then would, I think we, we talked about this before. I think we had also thrown out the idea of Andy Serkis in motion capture, just kind of having Andy Serkis strapped to Bob Hoskins' back. You know, that's what the fans really want. I'm going to keep I, saying that because it's true. I, I agree. Bring back I, Bob I, Hoskins from the I, I, feel, well, I was going to say, if he's not dead, which is he? Yeah, I believe he is. One of my favorite games to play is R.I. Possible. Um, like, could they be dead? I don't know. Um, if we brought Bob Hoskins back from the grave, though, and had Andy Serkis ride his back like a chimp, it would kill him. Yeah. Hey, method acting. True, true. Yeah. Um, what genre do you think? Like, would we make this a straight-up, like, fun family adventure comedy? No. Would it be a, a gritty crime drama? Cr- cr- be- a crime thriller. A, a crime thriller? Well, yeah, no. I mean, I, 
it's funny you say that because again, as we mentioned, like Mario gets arrested at the beginning. Yeah. It, it, it's an idea of just, you know, he's trying to find the person who's framed him. And I just think that kind of carries with it. This you know, almost a race against time, you know, like maybe make the villagers a little more threatening and t- say that, you know, they're going to throw him uh, back in jail or maybe even kill him if he doesn't um, clear his name. I mean, he, they, he has to clean up and he, instead of cleaning up, he kind of, or simultaneously he decides to try to figure out what's going on. Okay. I like it. Like a fugitive style, um, yeah, you know, exactly. whodunit thriller. Okay. Yep. All right. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Um, speaking of Mario stories, uh, I don't know if you peeked at any Super Mario Sunshine fan fiction. I didn't. I wanted to hear it all from you because I know you did. We're, yeah, we're, we're in fan fiction corner now. All right. Um, I had the dubious honor of looking up Super Mario Sunshine fan fiction uh, and there is a lot of it, uh, surprisingly. <laughs> um, I, I always find it amusing uh, when people write fan... And listen, if you write fan fiction, good for you. God bless. Um, but I always have to consider, like, does this franchise warrant fan fiction? I feel like fan fiction exists to explore facets of the world that go mm-hmm. unexplored. Um, is there anything about the, the saga of Super Mario Sunshine where you feel like, gosh, I just wish there were... Yeah, absolutely not. You know, 15,000 word epics exploring all the loose ends of this. I, I honestly, it's, it's despite my adoration for this series of video games and this, you know, I, I've never really cared about the story of Mario. I don't really care what his motivations are, what's going on. That's not why I play these games. So, no, not at all. Clearly some people very much care about that sort of thing. Very, very much. Tell me. Uh, Case in point, user Victini and Duck, all one word, parentheses, (laughs) White Cheddar Shaman, and parentheses. I see where this is going. (laughs) This this is some crazy. I I, I don't think you do, though. I really don't (laughs) think you do. I just preparing myself for something bad shit. He wrote uh, a story called An Absent Mother, um, so, t- to summarize, it's a pre-canon to where Bowser Jr.'s mother left, and Bowser is lying about who his mother is. It was originally uploaded to DeviantArt in 2015. Okay. Um, it is relatively short for Super Mario Sunshine fanfiction, which is a sentence I didn't think I would ever have to say. Um, but it is about Pr- Princess Peach. I don't know if he mentioned that, but Princess Peach canonically is presumed to be Bowser Jr.'s mother. Yes. Which is referenced in the game because Bowser Jr. calls her mama. Um, it's, it's like, I think, like, because Bowser told him that Peach is his mom, so he would want to capture her and bring her back or something like that. Just that kind of really just sick, twisted parenting is what really, really grinds my gears. I mean, she's like the Meghan Markle of the, of the Mushroom Kingdom. She just, that, yeah. controversy follows her with every step. <laughs> but so, so this story opens with Princess Peach leaving in tears. Um, and I'll, I'll read the last sentence of, uh, of before the, the time skipped. So <laughs> there's a time skip in the story. As she walked through the halls of the castle, she passed by a certain room. She opened the door. In the green colored room were small toys all over the floor along with crayon drawings of various things. She walked to the corner of the room where a crib stood. Inside the crib was a sleeping baby junior. (laughs) (laughs) A sleeping baby. I don't know which one, just one of them. Yeah. She she picked him up gently and cradled him one last time. Goodbye, my baby, she whispered. (laughs) 
then put him back down and quietly left, never to return again. Wow. Ellipses, five years later. So, so <laughs> How then long is it? <laughs> it's, it's not that long. It's no. not a long story. Um, and then the five years later part is Bowser convincing Bowser Jr. to go kidnap Peach and fight Mario. Yeah. Um, there are notes after this. There are notes to this. Uh, notes, retrospective. And remember, this is retrospective by Victini and Duck, parentheses, White Cheddar Shaman, and parentheses. <laughs> also, I should mention the tag on this in the archive of our own is tag, pre-canon, tag, <laughs> divorce. <laughs> there, the note on this is, I said this is my favorite story I've ever written, but I'm not too sure nowadays. <laughs> I still feel like, I still like the concept, at least. Yeah. When I, <laughs> I'm not very sure. I made a character sheet and everything, but I never finished it. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I just love that it's tagged as hashtag divorce. Yeah. Um, there's another one that I found that I, I, I can't find now. I looked for it before. I don't know where it went. I should have saved it. But it's essentially the retelling of the entire game of Super Mario Sunshine. But it's told in first person. Okay, and I don't know what about this game or what about Mario in general would would get someone to be like, you know what? I love this game. I love this character. I just really wish I could get into Mario's head. Yeah. Um, also, a shocking number of fan fiction pieces that are just basically retellings of the entire story. There's one called Super Mario. Super Mario. Where is it? What? Author's note. Um, oh no, it's just called Super Mario Sunshine. Okay. Um, it is it is a full novelization with like thirty six chapters. It is written by a guy named Nintendo Jedi, and it is just a painful word for word retelling of the entire game, chapter by chapter. Um, it is yeah. it is baffling that someone who would devote you know, the 70,000 words to this wouldn't just write their own novel. Yeah. It, it, it's much better. It's funny when you see someone who's got, I, I wouldn't say talent always, but clearly they have time and motivation and you can't help but wonder whether it'd be better spent on, I don't know, any other video game where it'd be interesting to know what the lead character is thinking. Let's enjoy this passage. Uh, this is set in Pinna Park. Although electric Koopas were a bit bigger than regular ones, with bigger beaks and seemingly more aggressive personalities, this one proved no different than the one they had previously encountered. So it, so it, it's okay. So it's just like all of them. Yeah. Um, kind of weird, those guys, Mario commented when it had gone. I hadn't seen many wild Koopas before. They have those weird electric blue and pink shells. We better check behind the wall for any more, Flood advised. He wanted us to chase them all off for good measure. It's it's riveting dialogue like this that keeps, that keeps that keeps me coming back. I can't help but wonder is is a lot of it just him talking to himself? I mean, obviously, giving him to, the ability to talk to Flood makes you know would make it significantly less boring than I'm sure it already is. But can you imagine if there was no Flood and it was just Mario talking to himself for I don't know how many levels? Well, I mean, he kind of does that because I assume every time in a game where he pops in and goes, let's go, he's seemingly <laughs> talking to no one. I really would like that more realistic. You know, if, we're, if you get that R-rated like crime thriller, I mean, frankly, I'd rather see this in the actual game itself. But if you just, you know, fell, fall down 
and failing at a star and you, you get warped back to the hub world. I just want Mario to just throw out a, a huge F-bomb. Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see that. Um, let me also briefly read from Super Mario Sunshine, A Sprite of Light, which is written as a stage play, also bafflingly long. It's, it's 120,000 words. Um, and again, it's essentially uh, a retelling of the story. Luigi is involved and the author's own OC, which is, stands for original character. Okay. So uh, let me just read Mario. The only good thing is that Bowser hasn't attacked since you, me, Yoshi and Wario last defeated him. I'm assuming this is related to Super Mario 64 DS because he mentions all of them. Oh, I guess since he's a reptile, he can't stand the cold weather. I wish we could go someplace warmer for a little while, away from it all. You'd <laughs> think we deserve a break after all of our hard work. Luigi, agreed. Like how I had to save you from a haunted mansion last fall. Mario, yeah, good thing you sealed King Boo away, but that's besides the point. <laughs> I, just, I just want to go on vacation. Ding dong, Mario. Oh boy, I have to open the door again. <laughs> because it's that classic Mario trope of he's so exhausted by all the doors he has to open. Yeah. How many Tonys did this win? Uh, I don't know, but at 120,000 words, I think that's more than the old man in the sea. <laughs> I, it, and that makes me existentially depressed in, in a way I could never adequately describe. Maybe you should write a play about it. <laughs> you, could, you could do like a Nicolas Cage or the, the Charlie Kaufman adaptation where you just write this meta movie about you trying to write a Mario play. This makes me want to get blacked out and try reading it to see if it has any artistic integrity or worth of any kind. But I already know the answer. Yes. The answer is none. It has oh. none. Damn, I thought you were going to say yes. No. Um, okay. Well, you know, um, before we wrap things up, should we talk? I think there's one more thing we'd like to talk about, and that's, you know, or one thing I'd like to ask you is, would you want to live in the world of this game? I actually, I think I would. Um, it's very relaxing. I, like I said, I love the aesthetic. Uh, it would be nice to kind of hang out on an island all day. My only major gripe would be the diet of nothing but fruit. That's my thoughts exactly. I would 100% live in this world, um, but, you know, I just don't really – I'm not a huge fan. I don't know about you. I'm not the biggest fan of having diarrhea all the time. No, not at all. I'm, I, I'm very anti-diarrhea. I'd love yeah. to see the, the pro-diarrhea arguments against, but yeah. um, I'm going to say anti. Also, I'd be very curious to see how uh, the economy of Isle Delfino works. Um, they have a police force. They sell fruits, but I don't really know what else is going on. They mm -hmm. have a theme park that seemingly no one goes to and is populated by Electro Koopas that Mario yeah. is concerned about. Um, but, you know, other than that, I would, I would like to hang out on the beach and, uh, yeah, chill uh, in this space. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, before we uh, give our final thoughts on the game, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we've been, uh, what, we, what have you been playing recently? What have you been watching recently? What have you been uh, gaming what and, been, what have you been gaming and watching? Yeah, or reading. Or reading. Uh, game and watch and read would not be a very good uh, name yeah. for this podcast. So um, yeah. in terms of game, so I moved recently to a condo, so I've been very busy. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, thank you. I only got my Switch up and running the other day, uh, so I've been relying on the old 3DS to play mm -hmm. stuff. I have been playing Bravely Second, the uh, sequel to the first Bravely Default, and it's wonderful. Um, and I think someday we need to take a look at the Bravely series. 
uh, it gets a lot of shit for being the worst one. I actually think it's the best one, and I will fight anyone that uh, tells me otherwise. And this is different than Bravely Default 2, so there's Bravely Default, Bravely Second, and Bravely Default 2. Uh, yeah, it's Square Enix, so they, they yeah. very strongly refuse to make sense, uh, with titles yeah, I, especially. Mercifully, that's a pretty short title for them. I mean, if, if Tetsuya Nomura got his hands on it, it'd be like, Bravely Second, the end layer of Destiny's final fall and collapse, or something ridiculous. <laughs> and but, then, like, just, like, a random number in there. Too. And then, like, yeah, it would be, like, Bravely Default 2.9847. Yes. And there'd be some weird esoteric reason why it was named that. It would be horrible. Yeah. Um, what have you been gaming and watching? Uh, I've been playing Persona 5 Strikers, which anyone doesn't know is a direct sequel to one of my favorite JRPGs of all time, Persona 5. Um, it's really fun. I mean, there's, you know, it does away with the whole getting to know the cast of characters because you already know them from the main game. It's not one of those sequels that you can play if you haven't played the original. Um, and it's just them getting up to uh, more shenanigans. Uh, I don't want to, you know, spoil anything too much. It's just a really fun game. I highly recommend it. Uh, and I've also been playing Hollow Knight. Um, do they steal anyone's heart? <laughs> they do. Um, well, kind of not actually, but, you know, I'll let you find out why. Um, <laughs> I've also been playing Hollow Knight, uh, replaying Hollow Knight, which is a game I very much adore, uh, especially its art style. Um, and watching, um, my fiance Miranda and I recently rewatched, um, the sting, the classic Robert Redford, uh, Paul Newman movie. It is fantastic. Okay. Um, All right. I, we, I uh, highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. We will have to cover that one day. Um, sure. and talking about movies, uh, yeah. we're going to cover a movie next time. Yes. We're going to cover hereditary. We are, uh, the directorial debut of Ari Aster full feature length film director feature length yes he yes. he did a student film uh that we will also talk about probably yeah. uh and i would say that everything he makes is vaguely unsettling i would agree with that um that, that's kind of an understatement to be to be perfectly honest <laughs> yeah. with you I, um, yeah i guess i shouldn't even say vaguely he makes things that are very straightforwardly upsetting yeah yeah so yeah I, you know before we we close I, I would just say you know my I'm really excited to do that. Um, with regard to Mario Sunshine, I'd, I'd say my final thoughts were on this is really, is, again, as I mentioned, it's kind of an amazing what, thing what the gamble this was. Um, pretty risky gamble after the success, the success of Mario 64. Um, you know, Nintendo is always one to kind of do maybe the opposite of what you're thinking they're going to do. Um, kind of in, trying to invent and innovate in certain ways. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I do think that Nintendo never, with regard to Mario, never really tried to do something this daring again with respect to the mainstream Mario 3D platformers. I agree. Um, I think this game has a reputation of being the weakest of the 3D Mario games. I would agree with that. Um, I think that this is one of the very, very, very few times where Nintendo rushed a game. Um, and that's a mistake that I think they learned from and they really haven't done since. Mainline yeah. Nintendo games, they are very careful to curate them and make sure that they are ready to go upon release. Yeah. Um, and I think they learned that lesson with this game. Overall, um, in terms of games in general, it's a Mario game. So it's, I mean, it's great. It's great. It's, it's yeah. weak as a 3D Mario game, but a weak 3D Mario game is still absolutely an A minus B plus in terms of games overall. Um, yeah. it's, it's worth checking out. It's worth your time, but there are going to be kind of some, some frustrations you're going to experience. Yeah. And if you're, you know, trying to play all the Mario games, if you don't like the idea of, a, you know, 
of a game having the entire aesthetic be the same. You know, they only really tried this once. Again, they returned to the idea of a hub world and different themed areas, you know, right when he got, they got to Mario Galaxy. And I frankly think it serves the Mario series a little bit better. Yeah, if you were to purchase Mario 3D All-Stars today and you had never played any of those games, I would say play this one first. Because if you play 60, if you sandwich it between 64 and Galaxy, you're gonna see that this game is very lacking. I somewhat agree with that, somewhat disagree, but I think I do like this game a little bit, just a little bit more than you do. But I agree with you. I echo what you said about this really an A minus B plus game um, compared to if you compare it to all games, compare it to other Mario games, maybe a little bit weaker. Well, I mean, we talked about it before. I think you have nostalgia goggles for it. I and, sure do. Uh, we, we a little said bit less so now than I used to, though. Young James was, was a stupid idiot. So. He was a stupid idiot. And you know what? With that, let's say see you next time uh, <laughs> you. When, when we do Hereditary. See you next time, stupid idiot, James. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. And bye, Aaron, my good friend. Goodbye, friend. Hey everybody, it's James here. Just want to thank my brother Dave, my brother Mike. Dave wrote the intro music to this podcast and Mike wrote the outro music to this podcast. So thank you again to them and thank you all for listening. Take care.